We're going to be in Genesis chapter 25 this morning. This week, we see Abraham passing out of the story and Isaac taking a little bit of the stage, but moving very quickly on to Jacob. I think Isaac did a very good job probably throughout his life. Um, if you want to learn a lesson on finishing well, you can take some examples from Isaac on maybe what not to do. Um, as he does falter a little bit at the end of his life, I think he, when he favors Esau, that kind of takes him down a road where he shouldn't be. But to start off chapter 25, we have uh, the last account of Abraham. I guess we're not reading the whole chapter. We're going to skip the first 18. I'm going to summarize the first 18 verses, okay? He had other wives. He had other concubines. Um, Baruch says those concubines were uh, gals that were kicked out of other people's houses. He took them on as daughters, in a sense. Um, I don't know if that's, that, that may be the case in, in Abraham's case. Um, that's not necessarily culture's case. Um, but he said you have to look at the, be able to look at the, how it's written in there, and that's how it, it is for them. So he was very passionate about that this, this week. So he sends them away with gifts. He knows that his inheritance belongs to Isaac, and he gives everything he has to Isaac. Verse 11 says, After Abraham's death, God blessed his son Isaac, who settled near Beer Lahamari in the Negev. And you may recall that name that I butchered several weeks ago, um, Beer Lahamari, meaning the well of the living one who sees. The well of the living one who sees. Now, where did we hear that story? And I think it's really interesting. He brings it up again. It is in chapter 16 with Hagar. Now, you wouldn't think a, a tie-in would be from Hagar in her story because uh, she was not the, the chosen one, and she was the mother of Ishmael, who we'll read about in just a few minutes, or we'll summarize his story too. But um, it brings it back to that, and I think it's really interesting, and I don't, there's got to be a bigger tie there, and that's when I'm going to have to ask the Lord when we get to heaven, because I haven't, I haven't figured that one out yet. Um, but maybe down the road when I study and I find it. Um, but there has to be a, a big reason that's in there. Um, I couldn't find anything right offhand. The second account in Genesis chapter 5 is of Ishmael. He was blessed by the Lord just as the Lord had promised. He had 12 sons as well. You'll find out that Jacob will have 12 sons. He lives for 137 years, which means God is, is watching over him and he's blessed him. The biggest contrast between Ishmael and Abraham or Isaac in these stories is in verse 18. It says, descendants, they lived in open hostility toward all their relatives. Now you can kind of see some of that happening in in Isaac's story, but it, it quickly resolves itself by the end. And that never happens with Ishmael, because if you look at Ishmael, he represents the things, the path of the world. And Isaac and Jacob, who will turn to Israel, um, he represents uh, God's path and God's chosen. So the third account in Genesis chapter 25 is of Isaac's family. And we're going to pick that up in verse 19 through 26. So Genesis chapter 25, 19 through 26, the Red Bibles um, is what I'll be reading out of. This is the account of the family of Isaac, the son of Abraham. Isaac was 
was 40 years old when he married Rebecca, the daughter of Bethuel, <coughs> Bethuel, that's how she's saying his name, because it's really important, I'm going to pause on that a little bit, to emphasize the L, because what does L mean anytime you see that in a Hebrew Old Testament? Yes, it means God, right? So anytime you see L, so Bethel, okay, Bethuel is another, that's, it's like either the house of God, that's what Bethel means, I don't know, 100% sure what Bethuel means, of uh, the Aramean from the Panoram and the sister of Laban, the Aramean. Verse 21, Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because he was unable to have children. The Lord answered Isaac's prayer and Rebekah became pregnant with twins. But the two children struggled with each other in her, room, in her womb. So she went and asked the Lord about it. Interesting. She asked the Lord about it. Why is this happening to me, she said. And the Lord told her. This is interesting. I, I really was fascinated by this this week. Why is this happening to me? The Lord said, the sons in your room will become two nations from the very beginning. The two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other, and your older son will serve your younger son. And when the time has come to give birth, Rebecca discovered that she did indeed had twins. The first one was very red at birth and covered with thick hair like a fur coat. She named him Esau. And then the other twin was born. His hand grasped Esau's heel, and so they named him Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when the twins were born. All right, thus saith the Lord. Our first point this morning is to seek the Lord. We need to seek the Lord. When troubles came, Isaac reached out, cried out to the Lord, and he answered his prayer. And it was, Rebecca was able to become pregnant. When um, Rebecca was struggling with the pregnancy, she cried out to the Lord, and the Lord answered her. It doesn't say, and they waited a few days. He answered her, I would say, pretty immediately. And it was interesting as we see the covenant of God really being represented through the women of the patriarchs. You see this in uh, the case of Sarah. She represented the covenant. And we see Rebecca entering in before Sarah was going out in the story, at least mentioned that she was around. And then you see Rebecca kind of taking up that mantle. And that was something that I discovered as studying Genesis this time. So to seek the Lord, the younger son will depend on God. That is where we're going to go in the third point, kind of. And I'll, I'll explain a little bit here, too. But it's interesting, you know, and, and we see that eventually in Jacob's life, when he turns to Israel, that's when he has to depend on God. He has to cling to God after he wrestles with him. We'll see down the road. Um, in chapter 32, I think, it says, The hand was grasping the heel of his brother. The firstborn is declared from the heel in the New Testament or in the Old Testament. So you'll see this, I think it's in chapter 37. We see another set of twins. The heel comes out first, they tie a ribbon on, goes back in, and then the other twin comes out. But the, the other one gets the firstborn rights because his heel was out first. And as the heel in the it's supposed to be the, the last part of the baby that comes out. They um, say it is finished, 
and that is when the whole and complete baby is out that they consider it um, the firstborn. And so when you see uh, Jacob grasping uh, Eli, uh, Esau's heel, it is to say that his human effort, he is trying to become the firstborn. He's trying to become the first, um, the promise of God. And he can't quite achieve it. And so humanly effort, he can't hang on to that heel. And so he has to let go. And he has to let God, he has to ask God for his help. And you see that in his life. You see the struggle that happens in Jacob's life and um, open up into that. So because the last thing to come out of the womb is the heel. That's, he is struggling to get that birthright, yet his flesh isn't strong enough. We see Jacob fight for many years to achieve this recognition and things, and only it comes after he submits to the Lord in chapter 32, much later on in his life. He will depend on God. This is an interesting story, and we'll go through it in one ravel as we continue on. The struggle is real, folks. It is something else. It's described, the struggle to grab and what we think we deserve and what we think we want. Um, maybe it's something that we hang on to, but it's described so well in Romans chapter 7. Now, if you're going to read Romans chapter 7, you got to read it slow. You really do. It is one of those uh, confusing. We're going to read a portion of it, but I'm going to try to, to explain it to you once. So when you read it for yourself, it will make a little bit more sense. So the struggle is described in Romans chapter 7. It goes something like this. The law in the Bible says, hey... Do you know you're not supposed to covet? I didn't know that. What's it mean to covet? Oh, that means you, you're wanting something that your neighbor has. Okay, all right. Well, we think, well, I didn't know that, but that shouldn't be too hard. Meanwhile, later that day, we look at Bob's new truck and we say, I wish I had that. Oh, dang it, I just... Coveted. I don't, don't want to do that. Or maybe it's, I looked at Linda. She's so independent. She's so carefree. I wish I could be like that. And maybe I wish I had her sports car to go with it. Oh, wait. I wasn't supposed to do that either. Or you ever drive by somebody's house and be like, oh, they did, they did a really nice job on their house. Let's, I wish I could, I, I wish I had that house. Or I wish I had, you know, it says don't covet your neighbor, neighbor's ox. AKA is Mustang, that's what I think that means. Like Ford, you know? Maybe not. Uh, Camaro, I don't know. Um, I better throw the, the Charger in there too. You got the Samopars out there. I see you all glaring at me. Sheesh. Uh, so um, you're not supposed to covet those things. You're not supposed to covet your neighbor's wife, right? You're not supposed to covet these things. You're supposed to be content with what the Lord has given you because guess what? The Lord gave it to you and we're supposed to be thankful for what he has given to us. So we're not supposed to covet those things. We're supposed to um, be content with what we have. And it hits us as it often does. Remember, <coughs> thou shall not covet. Oh yeah, I did it again. Man, I wish I had some of that candy in the back. Oh, shoot, I did it again. Sorry, it's not going to happen again. It's not going to happen again. It's just like 
if I had to think, well, you know, Lord, think what I could do with all that candy. Think what I could do with that person's house. Think what I could do. I could put it into your service. And that is the trap of coveting, isn't it? Lord, if I just won the lottery, I would give this to you. We could, it would transform. It would answer all our prayers. No, no, that's coveting. It's coveting something you don't have that doesn't belong to you. And it's easy to get caught in that trap, isn't it? It's so easy. So now that I'm aware of what it means to covet, of longing after something else, guys, I, I can't stop. I can't stop, and, and I have this need to walk the line to see how close I can get to, to say, well, I, I know I'm not supposed to covet it, but you know, if I had that, I could. Oh, dang it, there it is again. And so now I I'm, I'm keep butting up against this fence, and it hurts. And my left side really starts to hurt, but you know, I don't want to go to the right because I want to go to the wrong. Maybe I should flip that around. I don't want to go to the right because I want to go to the wrong, right? All you wrong-handed people. Amy, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, damn. Oh, I meant... Uh, uh. So here's the struggle. While I want to do what is right, sin is right there pushing me to do wrong. And we see this described even better in Romans chapter 7. And 18 through 25, because a lot of that times, that, that sin's winning, isn't it? it is pop, it's just shoving us right over the border, and pretty soon we, we don't even recognize it. It's, the struggle is a great indicator that the Holy Spirit is working in your life, folks. Okay, So if you're struggling with a sin, praise God that the Holy Spirit has revealed it to you, so you will be able to work on that sin. Okay, Remember that. That is important. Verse 18 says, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what is wrong, what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong, and it's a sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's heart with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. The power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Now you're going to cheat and read ahead because it answers that question, but we'll get there. Friends, this is what Jacob found himself. He finds himself in the struggle, and it starts at struggle at birth, which shows us that we are sinners from birth. That's what God's trying to show here. The Savior of the world is going to come from Jacob, and he comes from a sinful background, doesn't he? That's dangerous because we can't defeat that sin on our own. Praise God that he sent his son to do such things. 
He can't do it without God. He tries over and over, and yet, no, that is until he surrenders himself to the will of God. Additionally, we find Rebecca in the struggle with this pregnancy. She cries out to the Lord, why, Lord? And he answers her, there are two nations warring inside of you. The older will serve the younger. The conflict plays out in and around Jacob's life. Fast forwarding, we know God gets a hold of Jacob's life. We do. We know he gets a hold of it. We know when God gets a hold of our lives too, right? We know there is hope in Romans chapter 7 struggle when we surrender to the Holy Spirit because we see that in verse 25 as we continue on. Thank you, God, for the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is in my mind. I already want to obey God's law, but because of my sin nature, I am a slave to sin. However, chapter 8 comes along and says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Because you belong to him, the power of life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Christ has conquered our sin. It goes on there to say, um, don't stay in that sin, but to walk out of that sin. Well, it's good to read the next three verses of chapter 8 as well, because it gives you some of the how. When we are tempted, we cannot be blamed anybody else except for ourselves. When we are tempted, that's usually a product of our thought life, isn't it? So as we go along, we see many thoughts coming to fruition, and we see this in James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. See if William remembers this. And remember, when you're being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong. He never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Folks, sin is like a caveman, right? It's purely on instinct. It gets its club out, it bonks you over the head, and drags you away, right? Isn't that a a visual picture for you right there? So how are you going to beat the caveman? How are we going to win over the power of sin and death? One, we need to surrender to God's will. We've talked about that. Jesus said to the crowd, if anyone wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way and take up your cross daily and follow me. Does that mean there's no burden when we follow Christ? No, we have to take up our cross. That means surrender. There, that means there is a burden of dying to self and following him. That means surrender and then walking in God's will. That's not an easy path all the time. Sometimes it's bliss. Um, we know the end is bliss, don't we? But when we walk, wouldn't you rather walk with a peace that passes understanding, with a little bit of burden of persecution, maybe getting picked on by your friends or family, than to know and to know that you're going to go to heaven rather than, I don't know where I'm going to go when I die. I'm scared of death. I don't, I have all these worries. Isn't the first one better? I think it is. 
That's why I've chosen it, and I know. And I can have this certainty because I've walked with faith in Jesus Christ that I know that he is who he says he is. There's no other religion in the world that can give you a relationship with God, the all-creating Father, Yahweh, right? No other religion. They all say, if you're a good person, you can get to heaven. If you do these good deeds, you can get to heaven. And God says, no, your good works are trash until you're saved by my grace. We were just talking about that this morning, right? Praise God, his grace is big. So we'd be in trouble. So second, we need to take captive our thoughts. We are transformed by the renewing of our minds. That's Romans chapter 12, verse 2. We have an, what, what the, the fastest way to transform your thoughts. Christian music. Absolutely fastest way to transform your thoughts. Get an old hymn stuck in your head. Go to bed listening to, to Christian music. You want to transform your thoughts, you use Christian music. God's word is another good one to transform your thoughts. Obviously prayer um, as well. Number three, stand firm in, in the truth and in righteous and peace in faith, in salvation, in prayer, and in God's word, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 through 17. That was also our application point last week. That is the full armor of God, right? We need to put on the full armor of God every single day. That is important. And then finally, we become imitators of God. That's Ephesians 5, 1. Um, as we imitate God, we can also allow others to imitate us so that they have an example here on this earth, right? God will use conflicts in our lives to reveal himself to us so we can, can know the truth and the truth will set us free. Genesis chapter 25, we're going to look at 27 28. It says, as the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. He was an outdoorsman, but Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game Esau brought to him, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Interesting word choice there, which I would not have cho chosen now that I've studied this, but I'll explain that. My question, one of the questions this, to you this morning is, what is your wild game? Uh, Isaac loved the wild game, right? I think that was one of the things that was kind of his downfall at the end of his life. And I won't say downfall because I think Isaac will be in heaven. Um, I think it was just where he had a chink in his armor, right? He loved that his son was a uh, a hunter and things, but he didn't listen to the prophecy that Rebecca received from the Lord, which it was a prophecy from the Lord. And here we see a division again. We see a set of two. We see Isaac and Esau, the twins. We have a division here, and God's refining his family to one of them. And he chose Jacob. In some cases, Jacob is a lot worse than Esau. And in some ways, he is much better. Isaac loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Talk about a division right there. Don't pick favorites in your family. We learned that real quick in this story. But I don't know necessarily if that's what it's saying here. It is, but it isn't, okay? Let me explain. 
He loved the wild game Esau brought in. Why does Rebecca love Jacob? It doesn't say here. So you have to go back and find where it says it. It says in verse 23, and it says, The sons in your womb will be two nations from the very beginning. The two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other, and your older son will serve your younger son. So Rebecca knew that this was God's prophecy for Jacob. He was supposed to get the birthright. He is supposed to get the inheritance. This explains some of the story as we get along. I was always very, I, never, I don't like Jacob. I never really liked Jacob in the story. I didn't like Rebecca. I always thought they were against. But they are, are actually the ones that are going counter to the culture of giving it to the firstborn. And they're listening to what God told them. So I give them a lot more grace now. The word loved here is not really the best way to hear use as well. It would be better to say that Isaac pursued the idea of flesh or fresh wild game from Esau. He liked food on his table. He liked it fresh. He liked it when it came from the wild. And Esau provided that for Isaac. And Rebecca pursued the prophecy that the Lord had given her for Jacob. She trusted the Lord and Isaac tended to trust his stomach. Okay? That comes down to our later in life, we need to make sure that we're finishing well, don't we? You don't just slough off once it comes to spiritual things, when it comes to your relationship with the Lord. Says, oh, I've, I've got this under control. I look at people like Moses, and God used him right up to the day he died. Right? I look at the guy that uh, started this church. I remember Craig telling us about uh, Ori Miller. And the guy that built this building and things, even when he was down retired, he was still 97, changing out a threshold for a person's house. So you don't stop ministering. There is always an opportunity to minister to someone. So my question this morning is, what are we trusting more than the Lord? Is it our reputation? Is it our good looks? Just kidding. Man, Judy. Sheesh. No, I'm just teasing you. I'm teasing you. I was expecting that. Is it our brains? Is it our wisdom? Is it our possessions? Where will all these things end up? They're not going to be comparison to what we're going to know in heaven and how our, we're going to be manifested with new bodies in heaven or the streets of gold. Gold's going to be so plain, it's just going to be paved on the ground. We'll be like, eh, there's gold again. It's kind of like dirt. Right? The way, the way of the world is where these things will end up. God is calling us to be something different. I like our youth group, right? He's calling us out of the world to be something different. He's calling us out to be holy. He's set apart for him to trust his word even when it's hard. I'm going to take you into the unknown. Where's that, Lord? Oh, come and you'll see. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, 
a uh, little more? Yeah, yeah, you got, you got a little more to go, Shane. Keep going. <laughs> right? All right, I'll keep going. So an easy way to get back on the path and get back to where he wants us to go is reading the Bible and praying, folks. It's as simple as that. You want to know that you want to see God's word come alive, you need to read the Bible and pray to him yourself. And you will see it manifested in him and through you. God will use conflicts in our lives to reveal himself to us so we can know the truth and the truth will set us free. Let's finish this off in 29 through 34. It says, One day when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness, exhausted and hungry. Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. This is how Esau got his other name, Edom, which means red. All right, Jacob replied, but trade me your rights as the firstborn son. Look, I'm dying of starvation, said Esau. What is it, or what good is my birthright to me now? So Jacob said, first, you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn to his brother Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. Esau ate the meat, the meal, and, and got up and left. He showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. Who wrote that last line? He showed contempt for his rights for the firstborn. God wrote that line, right? Through Moses, but God wrote that down. I don't think he was too happy with Esau right there. This brings us to our last point. Rash decisions can cost a lifetime. Rash decisions can cost a lifetime. I used to get mad at Jacob at this part of the story, like I mentioned before. How could he do this to his brother? I was even the second brother in my family, and I wouldn't do this to my brother. That's what I always said, and I've always agreed to that. How deceptive this is. He used his brother's hunger against him. But as I get older, I see how foolish it was of Esau to think about Isaac's inheritance. Just think about this. So Isaac, their dad, has all the stuff that he's gotten from Abraham. Do you think that there's probably a meal around there better than bread and lentil soup? I think there probably is. So he's coming in with a very, he's like, I'm starving, I'm going to die, right? This is like my five-year-old when she gets hangry. Um, she's seven now, but uh, she was worse when she was five, right? She was, right? Please say she's getting better. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, she still gets very hangry. Um, you can just ask my other children. Um, and she gets on irrational. And I think this is kind of what happened with Esau. He's like, I'm going to die. I can't make it. Please give me some of your soup. And Jacob sees how irrational he is being, and he's like, I don't know. He may have justified his actions this way. He may not have, but he says, if I don't take his birthright from him, he's going to give it to somebody else down the road. If I don't take it now to be mine or, and keep it in the family, he's going to give it away. He's not being rational. He, he doesn't think correctly. So the, the fact that Jacob took the birthright like he did 
it's not cool, right? God had it worked out. God's going to do some way. God used this situation. But I do think it was foolish how fast and for how little Esau gave it away for a bowl of lentil soup and bread. And God did not appreciate that at all. Not one bit. Rash decisions can cost a lifetime. Don't throw away a marriage. Don't throw away a family for a rash decision. For one more drink. For one more thrill. The thrill of the cheat. The thrill of the adulterer. For one more high. Folks, it's not worth it. It is not worth it. We, we might face God's wrath like Esau's descendants, the Edomites, did. You'll, you can see that in Malachi chapter 1, verses 2 through 5, but it's summarized even better in Romans 9, 13. It says, I love Jacob, but I rejected Esau. If you want to find out where that, why it said that, then go check out Malachi. Okay, The Malachi verses will tell you that. Man, I'm giving you a lot of homework. You got to read Romans chapter 7, chapter 8, now Malachi chapter 1. Whew. Tell you what, let's finish it up here. How do I avoid this conflict or rejection from God? That's the question we want, right? We get this close, we get close to God. How do we avoid being rejected by Him? One, we need to choose to follow God. It is our choice, He gives us a choice. Isn't that wonderful of God? He loves us so much that he says, you can choose whether or not you're going to dedicate your life to me or not. Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding is what it says in Proverbs. And then humble yourself. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up in due time. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. It's also scripture, but I, I didn't look up that one. Um, maybe there's more homework for you. Uh, focus on the solution and not the problem. Well, what do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, a lot of times when we get into a conflict in life, we see that conflict come right up in our face and we can't see any way around it. And we are focused on this conflict and we're like, I'm so frustrated at this person, I get so angry at them, and then I lose control and then bad things happen. But if we focus on the solution, which is in Jesus Christ, then when we come to the problem, there's many ways around that, isn't there? Because when God provides us a peace that passes understanding, and he gives us the wisdom and discernment, we can see right through, around, or over that problem very quickly. Amen? So focus on the solution, which is Jesus Christ, and not the problem. What does that look like? Sometimes it looks like eating crow, doesn't it? You guys ever ate crow before? It's the most fun thing to do as a pastor, I can tell you that. Uh, it's my favorite part of the job. No, it isn't. But guess what? Pastors get to eat a lot of crow. You know why pastors have to eat a lot of crow? Because we have to set the example on how crow should be ate. Feathers and all, right? So we don't. Why would you? If your pastor doesn't eat crow, why are you going to eat crow? 
Yeah, it's an expression. It means to take your lumps. That's another expression. So if you have a complaint to me and you just keep going on and just complain and complain and complain, and I just sit there and I have to take that complaint. That's what that eating crow means. Okay? So remember, in every complaint, there's a little bit of truth. You can learn from that complaint just as much as you can learn from a compliment, can't you? Sometimes even more. And so learn to eat crow. We can also focus on the solution, which is built on Christ. If we die to self, it's easier to see where we messed up, right? If we die to self, it's easier to see when we are falling to sin. When we are walking down that road to temptation, um, it's easier to see if we die to self and we surrender to God. When, if we even fall into temptation this time, the next time we're going to see I'm walking that same path, I need to turn around and go back the other way. I think of the, I think it's either, I'm pretty sure it's um, Proverbs chapter 7, but I'm not 100% sure. It is where the young man is walking down the road and he's like, oh, I'm going to go down the street today. And he, pretty soon he sees this woman and she calls out to him and says, come on down. My hub spins away. Um, we can eat, drink, and be merry till morning. Um, I've just prepared off all my stuff. We're, I'm ready to go. And he, like a sheep to the slaughter, follows her down that street. Solomon says, don't even walk down that road. Don't even go there. Walk away. Walk away. Right? That's good advice. Where else do we see that advice? We see it with uh, Joseph, who we have already studied. Um, he walks away from Potiphar's wife. Runs away. Yeah, runs away. Right? Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call upon the Lord out of a pure heart. 2 Timothy 2.22. That's a good memory verse for that. God will use conflicts in our lives to reveal himself to us so we can know the truth. When we get a point of conflict, it reveals the truth because it's opposite. It's just like Halloween. What's opposite of Halloween? It represents darkness. God represents light. So when we're a bright light into this community... We have our doors open. We have the lights on. We are a bright light so we can be the truth and the truth can set this neighborhood free. Right? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity to serve this neighborhood. We thank you for the opportunity to come together and um, in this wonderful country. Lord, we pray for all these Elections that are coming up, we pray that you're, you would use wisdom and discernment and that you would allow these officials to reach out to you and for you to be the solution to this country and not some political scheme. Lord, we pray for integrity in our elections. We pray for integrity uh, with our politicians and we pray for integrity in our church today. Lord, we pray that you would lift us up, build us up, and allow us to win in the struggle. And Lord, when we are suffering, when we are having a hard time moving forward, we pray that we would be able to find our rest in Jesus Christ. 
Thank you for watching over us. Thank you for being our guiding hand in the darkness. Lord, we ask that you would open up our lives so that we can see the wonderful things you have for each one of us. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.